I've been in relationships with people in the past where I've felt, yeah, this feels really good and we have this high chemistry and we feel really compatible in all these different arenas. But then when I think about it, like we don't have fun in the same way and we don't laugh at the same things and we haven't really shared a sense of like losing our shit laughing over the same thing or the same piece of media. And <laughs> I don't right. think that that's something to, uh, to what, to sniff at, <laughs> to, to disregard. I think it is actually yeah. quite important. If you're happy with the same old ways of dating, if you enjoy sucking at communication, and you have no desire to improve your romantic life, then our podcast might not be for you. But if you want some out-of-the-box ideas to deepen your current relationships, broaden your sexual horizons, develop a better understanding of yourself, or learn more about non-monogamy, then you've come to the right place. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. And this is the Multi-Amory Podcast. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're talking about compatibility in relationships. Many of us have heard the relationship advice that compatibility is the key to success in a relationship. And people tell us when the new relationship energy wears off and the passion settles down, many relationships continue to flourish because of compatibility. But is that actually true? How important is compatibility really? And what is some of the science behind those claims? So we're going to start off today with a nice little quote by Mark Manson. We've talked about him. What is he in the, the art of, subtle art of not giving a fuck? He's that guy? Yeah, he's that guy. Uh, yes, yeah. Yeah, that's his guy. So, that's his guy. Correct. <laughs> that's his guy. So he said, compatibility usually corresponds to the long-term potential between two people. I thought that was really interesting. I wanted to start off with that. Because I don't know if I... This is kind of a working definition. Yeah, I guess. I'm not quite sure if I actually agree with that. The long-term potential between two people. Yeah, how would you define it? If I came up to you on the street and shoved a microphone and a camera Hmm. in your face, and I said, define compatibility, what does it mean, little girl? (laughs) What would you say? I hope nobody would say that to me. Are you also a wolf? Yeah, (laughs) I know. Yes, I'm a wolf. I'm a wolf, wolf... Doing man on the street reporting, and you're a delicious, you're a delicious little red hooded girl. But I really, (laughs) I'm hungry for your opinions about compatibility. What does that mean? Fascinating. I suppose I would say before looking into this episode, I would say something along those lines. Just something like, I think compatibility is involved with how much people's values align with one another hmm, very values interesting. and in a variety of different ways because <laughs> values means like to i think to some people values means like oh your intrinsic you know values of like right and wrong as a person or what you want your life to look like but it's also maybe how you were raised and i don't know I, and how what kind of things you're are you're interested in so yeah that's probably what i would say Thank you very much, delicious looking red hooded little girl. Now, what about you, the huntsman Jace? I'm hungry for oh. your opinions as well. Who was the huntsman? You... It was Jeez. it was uh, one of the Hemsworth. No, I'm tri- talking to huntsman oh, Jace. Yeah. I don't care about the trio. Hemsworth huntsman trio duo, whatever they are. Huntsman Jace, what's your opinion on what compatibility is? And I'm going to shove the microphone <clears throat> in your face too. Yeah, I think that my answer would be something along the lines of. The compatibility has to do with, actually, I like Emily's answer a lot about how well people's values align with each other. Or if I was feeling more cynical that day, I might answer it something like compatibility is when another person's quirks bother you less. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Like someone, compatibility is when another person's quirks or challenges or things like that are things that you can live with, mm. like are things you're okay with mm. um, to kind of approach it 
from a more cynical Very side. Very interesting. I turned to the camera. There you have it, folks. Okay. No, I want to hear what you Wait, have to but say. What about you, oh, Wolf? What does a what does a wolf think about compatibility? I feel the most compatible with the people that please my palate the best, and I'm just gonna <laughs> leave it at that. All right, fine. Um, nom 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 nom. Okay. Um, that was a weird bit. That was not how I was expecting to open up this episode today. Yeah, not at all. <laughs> but I do like that. I do. I do like that we started off with kind of what our ideas of compatibility are. Well, I, I do want to share mine though, not as a wolf. Oh, please, though. please. Um, I, I thought that maybe you were not lying there, but apparently you were. So <laughs> tell the truth, wolf. I, uh, okay. How would I define compatibility? Uh, a little a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Uh, I think going off of what Jay said about quirks not bothering you as much, that for me, my brain goes to your compatibility is essentially how well you get along. And I think get along not in the sense of how good the sex is or how in love you are with each other, but just how smoothly you're able to live together. And that doesn't necessarily have to be literally living in the same space together, but just how smooth of a ride it is, I suppose. Yeah, and that kind of goes along the lines of what Jay said in the opening, which is when it's not all about the sex eventually, then what do you have after that? And you do hear of people who spend a long time together and they're very happy with one another and it does turn into like a companionship thing to a degree. Maybe sex is still a part of the relationship, but it's also a lot about how much you care for one another and how connected you are in that way, I guess. And and I think that there is the other side of that, that when the sex wins and you're just left with a, a person that you don't really like that much. Mm. And that's not compatible. So we'll kind of get into more of that. But I did first become interested in compatibility and this idea of all of this, because I had realized we never did an episode on this in 200 and, you know, 40 plus episodes. We haven't really talked about compatibility specifically only. It it definitely shows up. But I was researching a couple episodes ago, the five love languages. And so God, Dr. Gary Chapman had another thing about compatibility. So he was discussing it in an article. And he said that if couples don't have at least some compatibility, then the relationship will really be an uphill battle. Yeah, so good old God, Dr. Gary Chapman, he argues that compatibility and chemistry are not the same thing, even though at first it may seem like it. He says, compatibility involves personal desires and preferences, and chemistry is related to our physiology and can dramatically affect our feelings and the way that we respond to people and situations. Would the two of you agree with that distinction? Yes, I guess a little bit. Uh, I think, yeah, chemistry, sure. It, it may be, at least initially. I mean, again, we've talked about like your brain on love drugs and that a lot of times it's just your brain being really happy and excited and serotonin and dopamine and stuff going haywire because you're having sex a lot and it's awesome but (laughs) yeah compatibility Uh interesting personal desires and preferences sure personal i think it it definitely seems like the kind of thing that okay let me see if i can put this together it's like a little bit of a logic puzzle that compatibility you can have both compatibility and chemistry with someone, but maybe not necessarily both at the same time. Hmm. You can that... have it all, but you can't have it all at once. Maybe? I... I, I don't think I agree with that at all. All Actually, right. No, I'm going to go on. No, well, do it. Do it. Tell me. Tell me. I, I'm, I was just throwing <laughs> this out there. Tell me what you think. <clears throat> yeah. Well, okay. First of all, I think his, his definitions of compatibility and chemistry is a little bit confusing because I think usually when someone says, at least colloquially, the chemistry that I have with this person or the chemistry these people have together, I think that tends to be related to attraction and kind of how physically we feel drawn to each other versus compatibility, which tends to have more of a meaning of sort of intellectual or emotional or communication styles being aligned with each other, or at least being acceptable to each other. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's what I mean, again, about before with the, uh, 
um, kind of people's quirks being acceptable, right? That they're that they're not deal breakers, right? Sure. That their beliefs and preferences are not deal breakers for you is part of compatibility. And I guess maybe that's just looking at the negative. And then on the positive side is, oh, maybe you think about things differently than I do, but I like that and I see the value in that as opposed to you think different than I do and it frustrates yeah. me. And I'm sure there could be a little bit of each, but more of the former and less of the latter. However, I do agree with him making the distinction at all because I Mm -hmm. have experienced that when you're at the beginning of a relationship and you have high chemistry with someone, that it can be very easy to think that that also means compatibility. Oh, hell yeah. It's it's a well-documented phenomenon that when you're in the throes of NRE, it's very easy to think oh my God, we're just so compatible. We agree about everything. And we like all the person. same things. And we finish each other's sentences <laughs> yeah. and sandwiches Don't and all the things. Don't anything in the first year because of yes. this very thing. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, what I was going to say before, though, Dedeker, is that I, I disagree that those two things are mutually exclusive. I just think that, yes, that that chemistry or attraction and NRE can kind of trick us into thinking we're more compatible than 100%. we are. 100%. Um, He also says that there are clear signs that people are compatible in a relationship. So these three keys here I actually really like. One is that conflict is not the center of the relationship. I like that a lot. So when problems... (laughs) Yeah. When problems do arise, the couple is not immediately on edge because of just some small thing that disagreements tend to dissipate quickly. Conflict tends to get resolved very quickly, right? So conflict is not a defining characteristic of that relationship. Um, Another one is that humor and fun is a key component of the relationship. This is something that also comes up in uh, the Gottman's research as well, uh, is they find that specifically play is what they call it, but sort of humor and lightheartedness and play together with a partner uh, is also part of happiness in a longer term relationship. Mm. Um, and then the and then the last one that we want to talk about for this is that your desires and plans are similar to one another. And this one is also related to something that we talked about a little while ago uh, when we were talking about the Gottman's research in, um, epi- uh, you wrote it down earlier, Dedeker, episode about repair. Yeah, 234. Think, or sh- the repair yes. shop. 234. Episode 234, we talked about where they framed it more about kind of looking at what are deal breakers versus what are just things where you have different beliefs or values than each other. And I think that this one here, you know, God, Dr. Gary Chapman is just talking about it in a simple sense of your desires and plans are similar to one another. But I think the Gottman's kind of dive a little deeper into that where it's like, they don't have to be similar all the time, but they, but it is important that they're similar in the things that are important. Yeah, uh, just so. letting that sink in a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, what do y'all think about that? I mean, have the two of you had experiences where it was very clear to you, I feel really compatible with this person, or I feel not so compatible with this person? Were there times where you were caught up in the chemical rush of NRE and that led you to believe that you were more compatible than you were? What have been your experiences? Absolutely, I think it's interesting when you're in. Uh, when you're in college, for example, and you're dating people that might be a couple years older than you or a couple years younger than you, and you two are just in different places in your lives, and that sort of makes itself known as potentially you reach like a, a breaking point or a moment in your relationship where it's like, well, we can continue dating and I'm going to be maybe in a different state while you're still here kind of thing and then you know you you need to move on in your life in one way or another and i think that's just merit of okay yeah just yeah incompatibilities like in stages in your life Mm. and that definitely happens but also yeah if you want to be a person who travels a lot for work or even the two of you i mean you travel all the time and whoever dates you has to be aware of that and has to be okay with that i think in a sense and i traveled quite a bit as well and we're all three very committed to our work and people have to be okay with that with maybe sometimes taking a back seat so yeah i think that is 
challenging and maybe sometimes becomes challenging for people who are in relationships with any of us. But yeah, and in, in a flip side, if somebody really wanted to be like uh, a parent right away, then uh, I don't know, we may not be compatible with them either. Right. I think that those things are so key. Mm -hmm. And I, I've shared this story on the podcast before, but like a relationship that I had that felt really good and felt very compatible. And then all of a sudden, when we found out that we wanted very different things in terms of kind of building a home together yeah. or not having that type of life, that it was just like, as soon as that incompatibility was discovered, it basically was over within weeks mm -hmm. that it, you know, that it, it was so key. It was so fundamental that it just, there wasn't any getting around it. It kind of fell into that deal breaker category. Pretty interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think more often though, it's been more of the subtle thing of just, Physically, we're very compatible, we're very attracted to each other, or maybe we share a certain interest or something that I, I haven't found many people that share this mm. interest. And so it's, oh my gosh, we're so compatible. And then it's more often been that kind of like we talked about in the intro of as that NRE dies down a little bit, that then we're kind of left with this there's not a huge one deal breaker, but it's just maybe we're not that compatible, actually. Mm -hmm. From my experience, I am learning in my life that that humor and fun really is a key component. Oh, yeah. I think that's something that in the past I would have really downplayed of like, oh, whatever, we don't have to share the same sense of humor or we don't need to have fun in the same way. And now that I think back about <laughs> back on it, like the relationships where I've realized, hmm, not so compatible the humor and fun aspect has been a huge part of that of I've been in relationships with people in the past where I've felt, yeah, this feels really good. And we have this high chemistry and we feel really compatible in all these different arenas. But then when I think about it, like we don't have fun in the same way and we don't laugh at the same things and we haven't really shared a sense of like losing our shit, laughing over the same thing or the same piece of media. And <laughs> I don't right. think that that's something to, uh, to what, to sniff at, <laughs> to, to disregard. I think it is actually yeah. quite important. Absolutely. It is. Yeah. I, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I, I like that a lot. So moving on, we wanted to talk a little bit about the science behind compatibility. So there have been a bunch of studies done over the years on this subject. We'll, we'll talk about a few of them. I did just want to say that the studies that I found were kind of all over the place. So they're talking about various types of compatibility and like reasons why people might be compatible, but not necessarily like a big overarching study on compatibility, because I do think that compatibility is different for various people. Like even to the three of us, we gave three different answers. While they had similarities, they weren't all the same answers. So it's hard to do a study on like this is what compatibility is, and this is what makes a person compatible. So kind of bear that in mind as we go through these. Yeah, like each study kind of had to define compatibility mm -hmm. on like what compatibility means in the terms of that study. Uh, and this is something that's very common in academic work, in research and dissertations and things like that, is when you're going to be talking about a thing, you need to define what that means specifically for this context. And sometimes it's different because in some cases, the studies are about compatibility, meaning when you actually meet this person, how interested are you in seeing them again in that like very short term? Whereas others, like a lot of the research the Gottmans do and stuff is more about this much longer term. How compatible are we going to be over many, many years? And so these studies kind of cover a range of all of that. But I did want to throw in here a little caveat, because I think when we talk about compatibility, <clears throat> uh, something that comes up is something that online dating sites have been trying to tell us for a while and now. Algorithmically. Is that they, that, throw yes, together. that they can figure out how compatible we are with someone else based on our answers to some questions that we fill that out. That was like a big and deal to me when I was on OkCupid, like, oh my gosh, I'm a 96% match with this person or whatever. I'm a 98% match. I thought that you, yeah, you and Dedeker, like when you first were on there, you y'all were like 98% matches. 
Which yeah, definitely, our, like, our, I don't think it was quite that high. I think we really? were probably a 96% match, but I do remember on our first date, Jace, you insisted on sitting down and going <laughs> Looking through at your, I remember all of the questions that we disagreed on and kind of arguing about it a little bit. <laughs> wow. <laughs> a weird thing to do on a first date. I bit. know. It was fun, though. We, I, I, we, Ooh, we, we did were playful fun. with yeah. it, so I think it was fine. That's good. Yeah. But uh, so, so what's interesting is that these dating apps do really try to say, hey, if you answer these questions, we'll match you with someone who's compatible. And it's even part of their marketing, right? Like Match.com. Certain sites will say, right, we've got the algorithm that works and no one else's does. Uh, and what's interesting about this is from all of the research that I've found, uh, none of them actually do. Hmm. And that, again, it's a little tricky because it depends what exactly you're looking for in terms of compatibility. And it is a little hard to do longitudinal studies where you are looking at that much longer term compatibility. But what they did find is that based on answers to various questions about your personality and what kind of a date you would want to go on, what's your ideal dating situation, all of that sort of stuff, that just based on those answers and then having people meet in person, that they, the, the study that I was reading about did not find any traits which could be reliably linked to people wanting to go on a second date with each other about being more compatible that the, basically the conclusion of these researchers was you will have just as much luck just swiping through pictures on well tip. because Gosh. it is a map uh, it's a mesh <laughs> of chemistry and compatibility it's challenging to find someone that you only have that, that's going to be a lasting relationship that you only have one or the other with in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. It, it does need to be both. Yeah. But anyway, I guess so. So to throw that out there, I think that just as an interesting caveat that when we're talking about compatibility, there is a lot of interesting research, which we're going to talk about here. But in terms of those algorithms, no one's quite cracked that code yet in terms of doing this without having the in-person interaction or the many years of kind of seeing how that goes over time uh that that no one's quite cracked that code there are i think some interesting things going on with using things like machine learning and looking at people's behavior on dating sites to then use that to calculate compatibility with people i think is actually very interesting and could lead to could lead to some neat breakthroughs but we're not there yet Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So it seems as far as research goes, we're going to start out talking about the incompatible side of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yeah, this one is specifically about people who do or do not want children. Mm -hmm. And it discusses the fact that if one person wants a, wants a child and the other doesn't, then there's really no room for compromise. So there was this long longitudinal study in the American Journal of Sociology that was later published as a book. And it revealed this ridiculous claim. I mean, I guess it's true because I, I don't know if it's true, but this is what the study said. Well, basically. this is based on ten, a 10 year longitudinal study. Yeah, but that. I would say yes. This I is, suppose. This is pretty reliable. And I guess this is right that 100% of couples with a husband, so this is specifically a husband who didn't want to become a parent, 100% of these couples were divorced by the time their kids were six years old. Oof, that's oof, 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 oof. pretty impressive 100%. and i guess i think about that in my own life yeah i mean my father was pretty much out of my life by the time i was you know a teenager so yeah i i think he didn't want much to do with me so that kind of makes sense that yeah i mean i think it makes it yeah, is it makes sense because considering that also we have a culture that sets it up that if you're a man and don't really want to be a parent 
I you would argue it's easier for you to bounce out of that situation. It doesn't mean that there's no difficulty or no conflict or no consequences for that, but easier for you to bounce more so than if you were the person who birthed that baby, as it mm-hmm. were. Yeah, I think that, I mean, the fact that it's 100% yeah. of the people in their study is, wild. is a lot. 100% of the couples where the man didn't want to be a parent I'm curious about what those numbers are the other way Me around. Me too. Whether mm. those couples stayed together or well, not. Well, if um, y'all want to read right more, now. you can actually get the book that they published. It's on Amazon. It's called When Partners Become Parents, colon, The Big Life Change for Couples. Uh, this one actually has a foreword by our good friend, John M. Gottman. He's not really our good friend. He's kind of our, our acquaintance, really. Um, anyway, yeah, if y'all want to kind of read more about that, I would definitely recommend that. Okay, so that's incompatibility over children. Let's talk about what's our next favorite topic to talk about with incompatibility. What do you think? Money, sex. No, (laughs) I mean mostly money. Yes, money. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's good too. (laughs) Yeah, the New York Times reported on this, and this is information that was found in a study that was done at Utah State University about. basically about disagreements and incompatibility. And they found that, again, I have to give the same caveat, it's a very gendered study, but this is what we got, that uh, the study found that disagreements over money and sex, both of those, were the key predictors of divorce for women. And for men, that disagreements over money, that was the only common predictor of divorce for men. That's Um, fascinating. I wonder why that's the only common predictor. Well, gosh, I mean, we could get into, go down a whole rabbit hole about Mm -hmm. just what money tends to mean to people in general. Um, We still need to revisit doing a money episode in general. Um, But for instance, they found that specifically fights about money are a great predictor of a relationship's viability. I suppose that's, you know, whether or not money fights are a frequent thing or how they get resolved or things like that. Um, But I do think it's also, it's seems to me fairly common knowledge that gets tossed around that money and disagreements and incompatibility around money is a high predictor of whether or not a relationship is going to work out or not. Yeah. And it's a scary topic in general. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, combine that. Yeah. With a culture that's not very comfortable talking about money period Mm -hmm. with sort of the high stakes nature of that in a relationship. And I would actually argue that part of this is the fact that relationships sort of quote, normal heteronormative marriage based relationships all involve sharing finances. Mm. <clears throat> At least that's the expectation. That, that one. Yeah. That that's the expectation. And I would bet in this study that almost all of the people that they studied, that's how they're operating, right? That they're, they are sharing a bank account essentially. And I'm actually curious. I I would be really curious to see research that shows what, what it could be like if that's not part of it. Like even if you are married, say if you have separate bank, even if you do share a household, but you did, have your money more separate from each other. I don't know. And it would also, this of course assumes that both people are making their own money and you know, there's not some different division of labor where one person does more of taking care of the household and the other does the making money. Well, we don't know. That's also a different thing yeah. too. Right. Um, but I, I do think there's, this one's a lot more nuanced than, than this, but I do think it's interesting that money, I remember learning that as a kid you know, that money is the number one cause of divorce. Mm -hmm. And it seems like this is essentially saying the same type of thing, like the compatibility that money's the one common one that seems to come up the most. And what did you think about it? It makes sense. And what did you think about that as a kid? Little boy, little boy, Jace. (laughs) I'm back. You thought that I was dead, but I'm back. Wow. (laughs) Oh dear. Um, I mean, I, when I heard it as a kid, I was just like, okay, okay, mommy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but uh, I do remember that that stuck with me of just kind of knowing that that's important. Mm. And I think that as I got older and started having relationships where I was living with people, I have not had any relationships where we've had a bank account together or at least not where like that's where all our money went into. 
Uh, and I think part of that may be because of learning this from my mom, that it's made me a little more cautious about that rather than that being sort of a first step. Mm. Or, you know, like, as soon as we move in, let's also open a bank account together. Yeah, for uh, that, I think maybe because of that, yeah. For me, knowing that statement, just the that people tend to get divorced because of money, that definitely, I think, made me not want to talk about it in my relationships very often. And it still, to this day, kind of incites anxiety in me. When mm. I discuss it to mm. a degree, it needs, I think my partner now knows to talk to me about it with kid gloves, because I also grew up like in a household with a single mother who tended to be pretty uptight about money in general all the time, even though mm. I felt like we did a lot of things and had a really you know, privileged life, it still was in the back of her head and it still was therefore in the back of my head that money is something to be a little frightened about. Uh, So that's probably where a lot of people are raised, especially in the United States. Yeah, at least some variation on that for sure. Absolutely. I know that was something that I I felt very fortunate that that a little bit later in my life, you know, kind of high school age, my mom did for herself, you know, did some reading and stuff on how to talk to your kids about money. Oh, that's good. And did start trying to to change a little bit of that narrative. Or or at the very least shared with me the fact that she was reading these books and told me some of the things <laughs> she was reading that I actually really took to heart uh, and are, are still things that I think about a lot and that I probably have talked to both of you about at certain points. Uh, and you did Rich Dad, Poor Dad how, and all that too. Right. And then, and then later read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which I also think is, is a really interesting book in that it talks a lot about just our relationship to Mm -hmm. money and not just like, this is how you get rich, but it's more about how do you relate to money? But I, I think that if, so say that I had that kind of upbringing where, you know, my mom started doing this stuff about, okay, how do you talk to your kids about money? How do you teach how to have a different sort of relationship to money and then reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad and being like, okay, I'm going to be someone who thinks about money fairly directly and just it's a matter of fact sort of thing. It's a thing that's okay to talk about, whatever. That then in itself could cause an incompatibility with someone who's very much still in that mindset of, no, this is not something you talk about and this is not something you're objective about. This is you know, money equals security Mm -hmm. or money equals love or whatever, that that in itself could be an incompatibility. So I I do think it's absolutely, it's not just like, Oh, think this one way about it. And then the the conflict goes away. It's like, no, there's still the compatibility that needs to be there. Of course. Okay. The next study we have here, this one is uh, kind of a left turn from the others. And that's, um, this is a study published in Psychological Science, uh, which is an, AP, uh, an association for psychological science journal. And this one is about people who speak and write in similar styles being more compatible. I thought this was so interesting and strange yeah, yeah. a little bit. So the study was uh, conducted by James Penbaker and Molly Ireland. <laughs> at the University of Texas at Austin. And it looked at the way people communicate and the language they use. And it found that 80% of couples whose writing styles matched each other were still together after three months. Now, like we said like before, really short compatibility, amount of time, but yeah, this is, this is short term. This is more about the compatibility of from when you start dating, do you decide to keep dating hmm. rather than the compatibility of, are you going to be together from 20 years or whatever. So that's there. That's what they're looking at in this one. Still interesting though. So 80% of the couples whose writing styles matched were still together after three months. Uh, and that they can indicate future dating behavior because I, I think they theorize that it's because it has a lot to do with the way we interact socially and our education. I would argue probably socioeconomic similarities, things like that. I think that this is one of those things where you say, oh, it's writing styles, but really that's just an indicator of other things, which probably mean people are more likely to stay together. Now, whether that actually means they're truly compatible long-term, this study didn't cover that. But I still think it's interesting, at least as a, 
this one, you know what? This one's a good conversation starter. Uh, if you have some, if you have some friends or maybe you're on a date with someone who is kind of keen to think about these sorts of things, if like, what does that really mean though, when we have similar speaking styles, uh, I think this could actually be a fun conversation starter. Yeah, that is interesting um, to think about because th- it does yeah. prompt the question, like you're saying, of, well, what creates your conversation style? What creates your speaking style? What creates your writing style? Is it your parents? Is it your culture? Is it your family of origin? Is it the level of education that you got? Is it the type of education that you got? You know, that there's so many mm-hmm. factors that go into that. Yeah. And I think I've yeah. definitely but- been with people who are in, who don't have s- particularly similar styles of speaking or thinking that I do. And that is kind of fun and interesting at times, too, because you can bounce ideas off of one another and kind of think in their way or or be like, oh, I, I wouldn't have thought of that in this way had you not said it like that or whatever. So I don't know. I do understand yeah, what you mean, but yeah, I guess it is important, but it also... It, it, it there are a lot of underlying factors potentially too, as you're saying. Yeah, and I think especially if it's unexamined, mm-hmm. then it's it's maybe a little more concerning if it's unexamined because you know there have been lots of studies out there basically showing that the whole thing of opposites attracting is bullshit, and that actually similar attracts people are more likely to date other people whose name starts with the same letter as them. So weird! Wow. We're, we're yeah yeah we're very much set up to look for similar and that's not necessarily a good thing that's not necessarily something that that serves us today yeah. that maybe at some point in our evolutionary history that was an important thing and that that maybe helped us survive as humans but in our modern day that's not necessarily a helpful thing yeah. so i think this study might even be something worth looking at to go Maybe this if is I don't have the same communication style as someone, maybe maybe don't assume that, oh, that means, uh, okay, if I'm not quite feeling it, maybe I'm not. Maybe actually give that another chance. Try to see past that. Just, just something to throw out there uh, that I think that, that that may actually be sort of a leftover from an earlier time in our human evolution that's not serving us today and might actually cause us to be classist or racist or... Yeah culturalist or religionist or various things that would contribute to that. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. So there's all the badists. So we're going to dive into a list, a list. Let's we love lists. Let's. So this is a list compiled by psychologist John M. Grohl. And this is in his opinion, the six must haves for relationship compatibility. And now looking over this list, it is pretty interesting that It bears some similarities to a list that we went over in episode 234, uh, which was about repair Mm -hmm. and about the common topics of conflict in relationships. That's a little bit more of a comprehensive list. And if you're interested in hearing about some ways, um, some important questions to ask essentially in your relationship concerning these common topics of conflict, go check out episode 234. But we're going to go over this list of six things. And thing number one is timeliness and punctuality or compatibility around timeliness and punctuality. So things like, is one of you punctual and the other person isn't? Is the other person constantly 30 minutes late to everything? How important is that to each of you? I think that's a distinction that we got a little more specific in in episode 234 is that if there's an incompatibility here, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a deal breaker, or maybe it does. <laughs> Sorry to be super confusing about it. That could be a deal breaker to you. It could be not a deal breaker to you. It could be an incompatibility that you're okay with, you can learn to live with, or it can be an inca- incompatibility that's going to constantly drive you up the wall and mm-hmm. you just can't hang with it. Yeah, and that that's the important part is that there's not a hard and fast rule of this thing is compatible. Like if this thing is the same with the two of you, then you're compatible. And if this thing's not, then you're not, this thing's a deal breaker. This thing's not, it's for each person. Right. So with timeliness and punctuality for one person, this is absolutely not, it's going to drive them up the wall. Like Dedeker said, and for another person, they could be different and it's something you laugh about and maybe it annoys you sometimes, but it's not, 
you know, it's not as huge a strike as it could be for someone else. Well, exactly. As you said before, how well do you deal with somebody else's quirks or somebody else's idiosyncrasies that are not your favorite thing, maybe, but it's not going to be a deal breaker for you. Exactly. Yeah. And similarly, let's right. move on to the next one. The next must-have for relationship compatibility uh, is cleanliness and orderliness. I've heard the two of you talk about this a bit. I love cleanliness and orderliness. We both love cleanliness yeah, and orderliness. Yeah, you both do, but it's slightly different. Yeah, uh, in, but that's okay. In different things, yeah. But that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> so asking questions like... How clean do you like your living situation to be? How much does it matter to you to have a household that's orderly? I think that things um, related to this are not just clutter, but also design, interior design. What kind of mood you like your house to be in? What level of noisiness or not noisiness you like your house to be in? And again, the same thing that I, I do think that if there's differences between you and your partner, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're incompatible um, it could be something that you learn to live with, or it could be something that will just be a deal breaker. Well, yeah, if somebody is like a total slob, and then you are very, very fastidious about your living situation and your, you know, surroundings, then yeah, that's going to be a tough one. I think if the two of you get together in in a, it, maybe if you live together, in that instance, I'd say maybe don't live together. Maybe don't you know, move in because mm-hmm. that's probably not going to be something that you're going to reconcile potentially. And this is actually, I love that. The fact that all these studies and the people writing about all of this are almost always assuming a marriage-like relationship that involves living together. It involves sharing finances. It involves probably having kids, uh, things like that. And I actually think, though, with all of this, it is really cool that if you're willing to think outside of that box, a lot of things open up to you. A lot of solutions for incompatibilities are possible. If it's just like Emily said, it's like, what if we didn't live together? Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that we can't love each other very deeply. It doesn't mean that we can't even have kids or something like that if we wanted to. Like, I knew a couple in Seattle who uh, were clients of mine who lived down the street from each other, but had a kid together. I love that. Uh, that there's lots of different ways you can do it if that's what works for you. And I just think it's so cool that there are all of these solutions that I think most of these researchers just don't even like, it doesn't enter their mind yeah. that they're possible because they're so entrenched in traditional looking relationships. And, and most people are. So I think it makes their research valuable to a larger audience. But for our listeners here, I want you to know you have superpowers compared to the people that a lot of these researchers are studying. Anyway, sorry, that's the end of my rant. I love that. Yeah, you have many, many options. For a long time now, we've been fans of adamandeve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on adammail.com and evestoys.com, which are their sites specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be, you know, an adventurous new toy or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's MULTI, M-U-L-T-I at adamandeve.com, adammail.com or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I. Uh, let's move on to the next one, which again is our old favorite money and spending. So yes, this 
is the most common reason to break up for most people because it is really difficult to talk about finances, especially until something might go wrong in this arena. Uh, People might ask, like, who's a spender and who's a saver in a relationship, especially if you are co-mingling finances, and that becomes apparent that one person is just going out often and spending money on big expensive things and the other person really really wants to save up for maybe a larger purchase or security or uh, retirement or yeah, whatever not, not to spend it at yeah all. exactly yeah, just to have exactly it. then you know that definitely could be an incompatibility that can cause if you are commingling fine finances that can be a big issue there Yeah, and definitely exacerbated by situations where there's a high level of financial um, imbalance. You Mm -hmm. know, if there's one person who's Mm -hmm. making a ton of money and one person who's not making very much money at all, some people that they're able to figure that out and that works, some people not so much. It can also be exacerbated if you are in a relationship where you mix finances and then you open up the relationship and then suddenly it's a question of, how much money do we spend on other people? What feels fair? What feels reasonable? And that's when things can really start to get yeah. complicated. And again, some people can hang with it and figure it out. And some people, it's just a little too much. Yeah, I I dated someone years ago who was financially supporting their partner. And that was really, really challenging and caused a lot of resentment and their relationship to end eventually just because... They were bringing all the money in. Their partner was spending it on dates, on other dates with other people and various things and, you know, doing kind of some expensive things with that money. And they weren't contributing at all to the household because I guess they were unemployed at the time. And so that was really, really challenging for this person. And it did cause the demise of their relationship, which I think is understandable when you're completely relying upon your partner to bring in finances for both of you. That's challenging over a long period of time. But but I think that could work for people, too. Yeah, sure. But it's just, it, it, it needs to be compatible. Like, your views yeah. on it and your values on it need to be compatible. It's not to say that that situation can't ever work, because it absolutely can. And it absolutely has uh, but it's just, over, yeah, many, many you years. Both need to, you both be, yeah, need, you to, need be to be able to be talk about it. those values. Yeah, yeah, and especially before something like that comes up, it's something... Uh, it, it, where challenges or resentment comes up, you need to be able to speak about that beforehand for sure. So, yeah. The next one is our other old friend, sex and intimacy, which can also be a very challenging issue to overcome in a relationship if you are incompatible in this way, because it is very pressure filled. This is also potentially filled with a lot of entitlement, a lot of people taking it personally. If you want this and then your partner maybe doesn't at times over and over again. There are a lot of articles written on this subject, a lot of things about rejection and feeling bad about those things. And then, yeah, it may just wax and wane over the course of a relationship, just how much you're interested in sex or not. Yeah. And this one, I think money and sex both have the the same thing in common, that they're both things that our culture values very highly, but doesn't, doesn't feel comfortable talk about talking yeah, about. Fascinating, huh? And, and, that, and that emotion is very linked to it, right? Like sex and emotion, sex, like my sexual desirability and my sense of self-worth are very tied together, right? Because we, we're taught to think of those things as being very connected. Similarly, the money you have and how you spend yeah. it is very tied in with self-worth and a lot of emotion goes into decisions about both of those things. So I think that that is why those are kind of the big two. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Uh, okay. Our next one is life priorities and tempo. So we talked about this one a little bit before in terms of life priorities about wanting to start a family, wanting to have a home, wanting to travel, things like that. But then tempo, I think it's interesting that he adds tempo to this one. And that's something like, is one of you really laid back and the other is a workaholic? Is one like, go, 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 adventure travel. And the other is like, I just want to go and sit on a beach for a week, right? Like, how how do you differ in sort of the pace of life that you want to have? Uh, I think that that one's 
that's actually I really like that perspective. The tempo on that idea of life priorities is also tempo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then again, maybe that is maybe that works for you, but maybe you need to find ways to have that work, mm-hmm. right? So if one of you's laid back and the other's more workaholic, that could be frustrating if you feel like you're always kind of causing friction with each other. But perhaps it's possible to find a way to go, you know what? You have your space. And in that space, that's where you can do your workaholic thing. And then when we have these designated times together, this is when we're not going to do that or something like that, right? Like there's ways to work with it. Maybe that'll work for you. Maybe it won't. But again, with compatibility, it's all about that. Evaluating, can we make it work or not? This is an interesting one with the sort of nuclear family of old, where I think a lot of people would get into this very gendered norm thing of like, well, I'm the guy who's going to go out and be the breadwinner and be really into my work and maybe not be as emotionally available for the family. And then it puts, you know, that burden, I guess, on the other partner to do those things. And that's a fascinating idea of like, just built in ideas of, well, if we're going to be compatible, then we need to fit into these roles, this mold. Mm. Whereas I think that people now might question that a little bit more. It might be like, well, maybe I want to go back to work after having a kid and you need to be the one to stay home with it at times. And yeah, it's like navigating those types of compatibilities that may be very different from what people used to do that just was sort of ingrained and well, this is what is done and I'm okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's those superpowers I was talking about. If you think outside the Mm -hmm. box, a lot more things are possible. Absolutely. Uh, All right. And then the last one of this list of six is spirituality and religion. So (laughs) one that I'm not at all attuned with. (laughs) But this is still relevant to you, though. But I guess you're right. No, it definitely incredibly is. Incredibly relevant. Yeah, because yeah. my partner and I are both not religious at all. And so that right. really works. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. But if, if one of you is and the other Ooh. isn't, or if you both are, but different religions, yeah. or even if you're both not, but approach it very differently, mm-hmm. you know, where one person's more of a, a vehement religion is a terrible thing in the world, atheist, and the other person's more of an agnostic... Yeah. Uh, that might not go over so well too, right? There's a lot of uh, different ways that that could look. Yeah, definitely. So they've done some studies specifically on couples who do identify as religious. Specifically, we found this study here that's, well, it looks like it's only a survey of just couples that are Christian. Um, so the and breakdown- this is from, this yeah. is from a, an episode of, what was it? It was called the, like, anatomy of a good relationship or something i think was what i'm looking at it right here it's a podcast yeah the podcast Uh, i see okay yeah that's where we heard about this study they didn't do the study we heard about it yeah there it is the art of relationships podcast i see i like the anatomy of a good relationship though let's make that Let's the change the name of the podcast. <laughs> that can be our book title. I don't know. No, yeah, not really. So, but yeah. No, that's good. Yeah. They took a national survey of 25,000 couples, specifically that identified as Christian. And of those 25,000 couples, 50% were Protestant, 15% or so were Catholic, and then 35% were various other denominations. And they found that the greater compatibility or agreement between couples on their spiritual beliefs, the more satisfied they were as couples. So this seems to imply to me that it's not just about two people who are Christian getting together, who are sharing like the broad, like the same broad faith, but it's even almost denomination specific. If you share that same specific set of beliefs, then the more satisfied you're going to be as a couple. But they did find that of the couples that were spiritually incompatible, a whole 82% of them said that they were unhappy in their relationship. Um, Yikes. Well, okay. And then, uh, you know, only 9% of the spiritually compatible couples said that they were unhappy. And now this is fascinating to me, especially as someone who did grow up religious. That yeah, I, I wonder what you two would think of this because I'm like, uh, over I, here. But I think that part of this is potentially valid of, yeah, if I'm with a partner who isn't quite aligned in the same values or in the same beliefs as me, that that could cause some dissatisfaction in the relationship. 
On the other hand, I know my personal experience of growing up evangelical Christian, there's a ton of pressure put on you to be in a relationship with someone else who's also evangelical Christian. Hmm. Like a lot of pressure and a lot of implication of if you're dating someone who's non-Christian or who has a different faith that like maybe you're doing something wrong and maybe that's the reason why you're having issues in your relationship if you're having any. And so I do think part of it is a little bit of a shall we say, culturalization, culturization within the church itself. That's just from my personal experience. Like a push to continue the evangelical line or whatever. No one (laughs) phrased it quite that dramatically, but sure. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. Well, and even this, uh, this podcast like broke it down even further. They're like, well, let's talk about like, what compatibility actually means is it like how do you are you pulling one other person to go to church all the time and like how do you view god and how do you worship god and all this stuff and i was like whoa okay i don't know anything about this i'm yeah i'll have to talk to jason dedeker about this so to do a quick recap on that list this is the list of the six kind of areas must-haves for relationship compatibility compiled by good old dr john grohl Uh, which is timeliness and punctuality, cleanliness and orderliness, money and spending, sex and intimacy, life priorities and tempo and spirituality and religion. And again, if you want to think about maybe a more comprehensive list, check out our list in episode 234. And to finish off with just that list, I will say that John Grohl did say that people don't have to have all of these six compatibilities by any means. Some people might just have one or two, but your he did state that things would be easier if you had more potential compatibilities than incompatibilities which i guess i agree with it might be easier if you're just completely incompatible on all these things then probably it's not going to work out for you as in a long-term relationship so they are things to think about but we wanted to move on to is it possible to change your compatibility with our partners So we're going to step Mm. back to God, Dr. Gary Chapman, because he believes that there are bad habits that some of us have when we conduct ourselves in relationships, and that if we have a willingness to change our behavior, then we can become more compatible with our partners, which is interesting Mm. because I think some people might not appreciate that these things are called bad habits. But he says that the bad habits include dishonesty, breaking promises, tardiness that might be the thing that some people are like well i can't help that and then assuming the worst which is interesting that he added that in there assuming the worst because yeah that that's probably a learned behavior to a degree this is all very thought-provoking yeah i I thought so too yeah he calls these bad habits which they are bad they could be habits for some people um it's interesting that he connects it to yeah if you fix these things then you can become more compatible yeah because i would see this most of these especially like if you clean up your act as far as dishonesty and breaking promises goes i'm like that's less of a compatibility thing and more of a being a good human being (laughs) to whoever you're in a relationship (laughs) with i don't know if that's a compatibility issue with tardiness and assuming the worst then i can see like oh maybe that's more of a, you know a part of compatibility that you could adjust what do you maybe think? at least in terms of communication which is kind of where he's going to yeah and i think so yeah that that also open lines of communication is the key to all of this mm-hmm. right and i think that the dishonesty and breaking promises that those things are fundamental to communication being successful yeah. is that if that communication is honest and if the things that are communicated are adhered to uh so open lines of communication and honest communication is the key to all of this and like we said you have a lot of superpowers about ways that you can deal with these things or understanding that maybe we're not compatible in this certain way. Mm -hmm. Meaning that doesn't mean you're a bad person or that I have to hate you. It just means that maybe we're not compatible in a way that we would need to be to be happy living together or having a business together or having kids together or being monogamous together or whatever it is that I think it's so important to get across that it doesn't mean that that other person's a bad person that there's like, I think we tend to think, Oh, if they're, if we're incompatible, it must mean like I have to dislike them or dislike Mm. those things. You could even be neutral about them and still understand that they're incompatible. Uh, 
But if you do want to work toward more compatibility with them, it has to come from this willingness to want to understand each other. Uh, and we also talked about this before, too, about this idea of like, if you have a difference on money or tardiness, why? What does it mean to yeah. you? So getting to understand what that actually means to them and learning how to empathize with them about it can really change our views about it, maybe change some of our habits around those compatibilities, maybe even change our own mind about those things. But even if it doesn't, like getting a real understanding of what that means to them and not just assuming that, oh, you're wrong because you don't think the same that I do. Exactly. Because, yeah, as you just said, some people might be like, well, you're a bad person or you're just 100 wildly incorrect because your view is not the same as my view and my view is the correct right. view. But rather than just seeing yourself as the hero of your own story, it is important for us to look at our partners and be like, Hey, like what's the reasoning behind that thinking? And yeah, if you can go there, which is hard for some of us to do, but if you can, then that really can be a catalyst for change. Yeah. So let's talk about some takeaways some takeaways for all relationships. I think the first one that I want to hit here is that, of course, compatibilities and incompatibilities, they can be deal breakers in certain instances. At the same time, total 100% compatibility is maybe not necessarily something that you have to put a bunch of pressure on yourself to strive for in every relationship. Again, generally, one person is probably not ever going to be perfectly compatible for another person. It's important to have multiple relationships. And we don't mean everyone needs to be non-monogamous. We mean it's important to have friends, have family, have a support network, have other people in your life from whom you also get care, support, companionship, maybe support in these other uh, different regions of compatibility. Mm -hmm. Similar to not needing every relationship to be 100% compatible necessarily, also compatibility is not about trying to find someone who fills a hole in your life or is a missing puzzle piece that has to fit an exact way into your life. This can lead to finding partners who ultimately make us unhappy and can tend to lead us toward a lot of codependent thinking about how we look for relationships. And lastly, ideally, we should be finding partners who can challenge us and to help us evolve. There's no single person on earth with whom we will be perfectly compatible in every aspect of our lives. And so it's important to just also learn to respect other people as autonomous individuals. Even if we're very compatible in a lot of ways, there's going to be some ways we're not. And respect, like mutual respect for each other is going to go a long way in having those conversations be productive and not be something that's destructive and leads to being hurtful. So we started with a quote. I'm going to leave y'all with another quote. And this one is from another professor at the University of Texas, Ted Houston, Huston? Huston, I guess. Sure. Yeah, Huston. So he conducted a longitudinal study of married couples and claims that compatibility is overrated. So he says... My research shows that there is no difference in the objective level of compatibility between couples who are unhappy and those who are happy. But the unhappy ones think compatibility is important to a good marriage, but they don't think that they have it. People overemphasize the effect of personality or values, and they underemphasize the extent to which easy, congenial temperaments aid marriages. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. I think... That really goes along with the idea of having mutual respect yeah. and honest communication about these Just things. Just chill out, everyone. It's going to be okay. <laughs> being, being cool. Yeah, yeah. let's be cool. <laughs> so that kind of leads into our bonus. Uh, if you are a patron of ours or you want to become a patron, you can check out our bonus episode, which is going to be on the one thing that, according to science, may be even more important than compatibility. Whoa. All right. So check that out for sure. And if you would like, because we would love you to, go on our Instagram or Twitter uh, or on Facebook and talk about what you think about compatibility. How compatible are you with your partner or partners? Do you think that it's an important thing in relationships? Do you think whatever opposites attract doesn't matter at all? We would love to hear about that. 
And the best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is on this episode's discussion thread in our private Facebook group or Discord chat. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can email us at info at multiamory.com, leave us a voicemail at 678-M-U-L-T-I-05, or you can leave us a voice message on Facebook. Multiamory is created and produced by Jace Lindgren, Dedeker Winston, and me, Emily Matlack. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanetta. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our production assistants are Rachel Schenewerk and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChumpaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.